Hi listeners. Before we get into today's episode, I just wanted to give a quick disclaimer. We are discussing the Netflix documentary, Murder Among the Mormons, and there are definitely going to be big spoilers. So if you need to pause the podcast now or skip this one and come back later to avoid spoilers, now is the time to do that. I also wanted to take a minute to give proper respect and attention to Steve Christensen and Kathy Sheets and their families. They are the victims of this case, and they deserve to be remembered and honored. Thank you. Enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome to Not So Molly Mormon Podcast. Hello, and welcome back, you guys. This is Sarah. This is Katie. Welcome, welcome. Welcome. Um, I'm going to say it again, even though we just recorded an episode for Patreon um, as well, but I I just need to say happy belated International Women's Day. (laughs) Yeah, to all of our women listeners, thank you and happy International Women's Day, because I don't feel like we celebrated being women enough in the church, so we got to do it now. Exactly. So big shout out. Hope everyone had a lovely day yesterday and just, you know, thought about how great women are. That's mm-hmm. what I did and just had a little treat myself. So oh, um, nice. nice. Yeah, it was really good. Anyways, also, Katie had an awesome birthday this past weekend. I did. And thank you all for your lovely messages. They meant so much to me and made me so happy. So, yeah, I it was a great day. Getting older isn't that bad. I kind of like it. Right? It's kind of nice. I feel like the older you get, like, birthdays are so much more... I don't know how to put it in words, but like, it's just, it really is about spoiling yourself. Like you just, I I don't know. We, we did a, um, some, some, we walked down some memory lane in our Patreon episode talking about some, uh, birthday cringy memories and like thinking about those, you're like, God, those birthdays when you're younger, it's like all this pressure to throw parties and like Mm -hmm. do all this Mm -hmm. stuff. And the older you get, I'm just like, you know, give me some wine, give me nice food, sex, a happy birthday, presents. That's all I want, you know? Yeah. I look back at the (laughs) events and things that I always wanted for my birthday when I was younger. And even in, you know, just in my 20s, I wanted a party or to go out with a big group of people for dinner. And I'm just over that now. Like, I mean, cool. If you still like to do it, good for you. You do whatever you want. But it's nice when I'm, I'm older. I'm just like, you know, I'd rather stay home and have some good food and cocktails. So, Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but in other news, we have a new patron. Ooh, tell me, tell me. Well, hello to our new patron, Kristen. Hi, and thanks for joining us. Hi, Kristen. Thanks for joining and welcome. Um, we are very happy to have you here. And as always, thanks to all of our other lovely and incredible and supportive patrons that we have yeah yeah all right that's all the yeah yeah. Yeah, like yep 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 okay Um, (laughs) that's all of the announcements that I have for now do you have anything else Sarah before we jump right in 
I don't think I do. Um, no, let's get into our fun, exciting episode that we have received so many messages about. I've been blowing up about this since it came out. So as you can tell by the title of the episode, today we are talking about the Netflix docuseries Murder Among the Mormons. Uh, It premiered, yeah, dun dun dun, it premiered March 3rd, and it's a three-part docuseries. Um, And Sarah and I have both watched it, obviously, and we got so many messages from you guys, like, thank you for bringing this to our attention. But we were like, okay, we can't put this off any longer, we have to react to it now while everyone's super interested in it. Um, It covers the bombings in Salt Lake City in 1985 that um, Mark Hoffman did. So anyway, spoiler alert, (laughs) we're going to talk a lot about what happens in this docuseries. So if you want to be surprised, then turn off the podcast right now. Yes, if you do not want to know what happens in the docu-series, then definitely skip skip this episode, come back to it when you've watched it, um, because I've also <laughs> made the mistake of assuming that everyone already knows the story, but obviously people who didn't grow up Mormon, or Mormons, like I didn't know the story until Katie told me, um, and I was obviously a devout Mormon for many, many years, um, I just keep assuming that everyone does know the story, and I've ruined yeah. I've ruined this docu series a, a few times now because I've had <laughs> like quite a few like colleagues or friends like message me who are like, oh my god, have you seen that? There's this pod, um, not podcast, this ep- uh, God, I can't speak. This documentary on Netflix about um, Mormons and like it's called Murder Among Mormons, and I'm like, yes we're doing an episode on it and then like I go into it I'm like can you believe this and this and they're like I've only watched episode one (laughs) and you're like oh sorry (laughs) I'm the worst anyways you can just google it it's facts it's not like I spoiled anything (laughs) yeah we we covered this it was two years ago I think it was episode 42, which we're over 100 episodes now, that I told Sarah this story of the Salamander Letter and Mark Hoffman, and um, lots of people are very, very interested in it. So if you want to, I guess, get more in-depth coverage of it, you can go back and listen to our episode. There's also lots of really great other podcast episodes about it, but We'll give you just a little brief overview. Mainly, we're going to be talking about what happens in the docuseries and what we thought about it. So, yes, exactly. Definitely, like, if you're interested in this, because I've had a few friends who were like, oh, my God, that was insane. That was interesting. And and I'm like, oh, our podcast goes into so many more details. Like, Katie does a really (laughs) good job of explaining the details that they just, they they left off in the docuseries. So, If you're interested, check out our episode, and um, yeah, let's get into it. Let's get into it. Okay, so this docuseries we discovered was directed by uh, a couple of active Mormons, uh, Jared Hess and Tyler Meesum. Jared Hess actually directed Napoleon Dynamite and Nacho Libre, which I know (laughs) a lot of people don't like it, but I love napoleon dynamite (laughs) (laughs) i also got that laugh um i also really love 
those movies. And, like, it's so funny because I was telling Greg, like, yeah, Jared Hess is, you know, he um, created and directed um, Napoleon Dynamite and Nacho Libre. And I know for sure at least Napoleon Dynamite was when he was at BYU. And he was like, no, that's Mormon. I was like, yes. Like, <laughs> there's so much There's so much Mormon culture in Napoleon Dynamite yeah. that I think makes it even funnier to me. Exactly. So. And just so many like non-Mormons don't realize that that's, um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I didn't realize that it was directed by Mormon members right when I started watching it. Uh, Sarah let me know after I watched the first episode. So anyways, we'll kind of get into like how I we thought and felt about it as it progresses. But I have some notes from each episode that we'll kind of go over. And at the end, we're going to give you our full review. So in episode one, my first my first note says that almost immediately they start talking about Mormonism. And then I have a quote from one of the rare book stealers where he says, ladies and gentlemen, we're landing in Salt Lake City. Set your watches back 10 years. <laughs> I loved it. I was like, true, true. I was laughing so hard. And Greg was like, is that true? I was like, yeah. Definitely. Oh, yeah. It could be even more, more like 20 years. <laughs> yeah, for sure. um, so, yeah, it, it starts really quickly. They start describing the history of Mormonism, the Book of Mormon, Joseph Smith, J-Dog. Um, but I and this was a lot of this was described by Richard Turley, who was the church historian and director of the church's PR department. So he's going to make it look good. Right. I noticed that. It was really fast how they, like, described the history of Mormonism. They didn't put in anything that seemed too weird. And they, of course, didn't even touch on, like, polygamy or any of that stuff. It was just, like, super-duper basic about Joseph Smith found these plates, translated them, and here's it. It was very much, like, what, like, a missionary would tell you, it seemed like to me. Right. Yeah, exactly. That was like my first impression of the the first episode is when I just feel like they didn't set the background of Mormonism. And I understood it was, you know, only a three episode mm-hmm. series. But I just feel like it's really I mean, we'll get into it later. But I, I just felt like that was a big thing that was missing was setting the foundation of Mormonism yeah. and Mormon doctrine so that you could fully understand why this was such a huge event that happened. I agree with you. I I have in my notes somewhere in here that I actually paused the documentary so many times to like expound upon things to my boyfriend who he grew up in Utah. He knows a lot about it. He was Mormon when he was really little, but he didn't fully grasp like the importance of like you were saying how like the doctrine was and how things were supposedly found and translated the importance of these historical documents because they didn't explain it in the documentary. But I was like, no, 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 I have to explain like how big of a deal this is. And I, so I paused it so many times. Yeah. Did you pause it a bunch? <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. Because Greg, like <laughs> when we were... um yeah, watching it, I was constantly, like, pausing it for that reason alone, like, to explain it, but also, you know, it was kind of like a tester to be like, did you pay attention when I told you this two <laughs> years ago? Like, you should know this story already. I told you two years ago. Um, you better remember bitch. these details. 
<laughs> such a petty bitch. Um, but uh, yeah, no, but I also was pausing it too because the videos, like yeah. some of the videos they were showing are like Mormon videos that we watched um, growing up. And one is, uh, oh, it was one of like young Joseph Smith, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. I was like, oh my God, we I totally watched that like growing up. Like this mm-hmm. is weird seeing all of the and then like the Mormon um like the general conference um area, like the building and stuff like that. Like of course I was like telling like I kept pausing it to be like, Greg, this is like where I've been multiple times. Like yeah. this is the Salt Lake City Temple. Like I've done endowment sessions here, like da 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 da. And he was just like, Oh, oh, what? I found it to be quite, like, triggering because there was so much imagery, so much Mormon imagery, and then they would show, like, the prophets and have, you'd hear them speaking, and then there would be, like, hymns being sung, and they would show sacrament meeting, and I was just like, (gasps) (laughs) yeah, (laughs) I even, like, the ballet jokes, like, I was like, oh my god, like, so I was, like, telling Greg, I was like, he spoke at my graduation, like, it's just all kind of triggering, and, um, yeah, Yeah. Gordon B. Hinckley was, like, the first prophet I, quote-unquote, met, because he did, like, a BYU devotion. Oh, crazy. Yeah, it was, like, all these, like, weird triggering moments for me. Yeah, I bet. Um, Okay, so they, they also, I have a note in here that they were talking about the the scene, I guess, of the rare historical document scene in Salt Lake City. And I feel like we've had a lot of people message us about, like, is that such a thing? And it history and, like, historical documents and genealogy and stuff is very important to Mormons and to Mormonism. It's like they love history and especially anything that could be, like, faith-promoting or, like, a cool story about the pioneers or something. Like, it really is, I think, a bigger deal than a lot of people realize. I I noticed that in the messages we got, people were surprised by the amount of, like, rare book and rare document collectors that were in the documentary. So I I have that written there because that kind of comes up quickly, too. Yeah, and I guess that was something that, like, now that you you mention it, I... It does make sense, but I think that was a bit of a disconnect for me, too, because I didn't grow up in Utah. Yeah. And yeah. so, like, the whole pioneer thing was always just, like, this weird obsession <laughs> that I didn't get because I obviously don't have, like, ancestral, like, pioneers, you know? Like, I don't have any right. of that. Um, and it and is so- weird. It's, like, kind of obsessive how they are with it. Like, for example, I have my, like, grandparents, they had a whole room that was, like, decorated with pioneer things and relics and photos and like I I understand being really into your heritage and everything but I do think that like Mormons are so (laughs) into it like in a way that a lot of other people aren't if that makes sense like like Utah pioneer heritage Mormons it's like this weird point of pride I guess I don't know yeah I mean the fact that you're like Utah State has like pioneer day as a holiday as well and like people <laughs> yeah lose their shit over it it's like it's oh, a pioneer shit. day what are we gonna do and I was like I don't know I just have a day off work I don't give a fuck about that like I mean <laughs> I don't have any pioneer family ancestral like any any type of connection so for me it was just like meh you know what I do now, which is like a thing in the ex-Mormon community, instead of Pioneer Day, we celebrate Pie and Beer Day. 
Ah, hello. <laughs> yeah, and I, I have a pizza pie because I'm not really into, like, sweet pie. But, like, I we have pizza and beer. Anyway. That's amazing. <laughs> Maybe I should start doing that, too. You should. Um, but, no, another thing, too, um, because I, they show a clip in the video. Um, I don't remember which episode it was. But they show, like, people doing genealogy work in the church. And you remember how, like, each ward had a genealogy room. Yes. And you would, like, go to even different, like, genealogy centers as, like, an activity. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was re- – it's a big deal in the morning now, church. It's, like, really creepy to think about, actually, because I remember ours was, like, locked. It was always locked up unless you had to have – Someone who had a calling, who was like genealogy, whatever, could have a key and can like open it for people who wanted to come in and like do some genealogy research. That is really weird, isn't it? Yeah, it gives me the heebies. <laughs> okay, so um, in the first episode, they touch on the Anton transcript, um, how this was like the first document that. Mark Hoffman, quote unquote, found in in that Bible that he bought, but it was actually his first really big like forgery. Uh, and I, I mean, I thought that they did a good job with how they portrayed him like discovering it or whatever, but I was quite disappointed that they didn't even really describe what it was because if you look at the story behind it and how like Martin Harris tried to get it authenticated by Charles Anton and Anton was like, no, this is gibberish. Like this is nothing. Um, They didn't even like talk about that, how that was part of why it was called the Anton's transcript. Do you remember that from when I told you about it before? That's what I was thinking. Cause I I remember when we watched it, I was thinking like there's something significant. Sorry, Katie. I obviously failed your test of not. listening to work. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but I remember being like, to Greg, I was like, oh, there's something significant about this that they're missing, but I don't even know what it is. But yeah, yeah. okay, that's, that's right, because I felt like it was so rushed, that part, that they didn't really it's explain so why. Right, they just made it seem like, oh, this is a significant thing. These were characters that Joseph Smith wrote down himself that they were actually copied from the plates, the golden plates. So he, Martin Harris was... Martin Harris's wife actually was like, why don't you ask Joseph Smith to copy down the characters on these plates that are reformed Egyptian, right? And you can take them to a, to a secular scholar and see if they're real because he won't let you see the plates. So this is the next best thing. So Joseph Smith was like, okay. And he wrote down these, what we know now is gibberish, but what he said was reformed Egyptian that he saw on the gold plates. Martin Harris took that transcript to Charles Anton, who was a professor, and he was not part of the Mormon church. And Charles Anton was like, this is nothing. This isn't, there's no such thing as reformed Egyptian and none of this makes sense. None of this has any historical value at all. Now, that actual document got lost, but this was Mark Hoffman's forgery of it. So... That's why, you know, there's so much that goes behind it. And I understand they only have so much time, but I really feel like it would have made it more interesting if they had, like, just described a little bit about that. But, I mean, I don't know. It's tough when you remember that they're LDS directors. So maybe they decided to cut that out. (laughs) I think, and that's something, again, we can get to this at the end, but that was something I had a big problem with. I felt like, 
they tried to come across as being unbiased, like yeah, showing off like, okay, but look, you know, this was like a huge faith shaker in, in the Mormon church when these letters came out and, you know, like they paid money and said that this these were true. And then it turns out there's a forge, um, forgery, blah, blah, blah. And so like you first think in the first episode, like, oh, maybe they're going to actually hold the church accountable and go into more details. But I feel like they just do it so that they can say, like, look, we we showed some negative light on the church, but then they just kind of stop there. Like it it quickly switches, I felt, Uh to having it being like they're the victim of Mark Hoffman. Right, right. And it could be so much deeper it was like they just went a centimeter down into the into the digging when they could go like feet, you know. It's like, um, okay. So my next note is in all caps. I wrote "celestial pursuit, trivial pursuit for Mormons." <laughs> I love that part. I was freaking out. I was like, "What?" So I went on Google. I was like, "I gotta get a copy of this. I need to find this for me and Sarah to play." But they only have them on eBay for like hundreds of dollars. So oh, no thing. We'll have to make our own like version of Celestial Pursuit and ask each other like Mormon trivia one time. Oh, God, I cannot wait. I can't. I, can't. I <laughs> but, laughed so hard at that. Like Greg was like, "Is that a real thing?" And I was like, "I guess it is." Like I never had it growing up, but I'm not surprised. Listeners, if you ever played it, please, for the love of God, message us and tell us about it. Even better, if you have one or like your parents have one, take a picture of some of the questions and email them to us. Yes, please. <laughs> okay. I remember, though, I have to say on the same line that they, the the Mormon temple stores would sell like games, like family games. And I don't know if you ever had them, but my mom was always trying to like get me and my brothers to be more Mormon, right? So she bought, like, from the temple store in Atlanta, these, like, Book of Mormon board games or some shit. I just remember we had them in our house, and we never played them. (laughs) I don't even think we ever opened even, like, the board game. You but know, I now that you say that, I remember that. I remember, like, they'd have different versions even of, like, I don't know. It could even just be something like Monopoly, but they would make it Mormon-y. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that. <laughs> yep. um, okay, so then they introduced the white salamander letter and how that contradicted the version of what the church said happened, you know, the salamander versus the angel Moroni. <laughs> uh, they explained that, but I, I also had to pause it here to explain to my boyfriend because <laughs> he was so funny about this because I was like, see, like, isn't that crazy? And he's like, um... They're both like fake. <laughs> he was like, he was like, neither of them makes sense. It's like both bullshit. And I was like, I know, I know, I know. But from the eyes of a Mormon, like these, this was all brought about by an angel. And now this document is saying that it's a white salamander. And can't you see how being as a Mormon that'd be weird? And he's like, yeah, but why did they believe the first version in the first place? And I'm like, no, you can't look at it logically. <laughs> but yeah I I don't think it was really touched on I mean it was but I just felt like it that was such a faith-shaking thing like having that document come out 
and say that it was a white salamander instead of an angel. Like, can you imagine being a Mormon in that time and hearing that and being like, wait, what? Like, what do I believe? What was happening with Joseph Smith? And then they show um, Gordon B. Hinckley saying, we, what did he say? Something like, it's incomplete in its context to cast yeah. doubt on the church. And I, I was just like, ew, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. Yep, exactly. <laughs> it was like incomplete in its context. And also... I don't remember if it was him or Downey Jokes or one of the other general authority authorities that were saying basically that like they twisted it somehow to make it seem like it actually showed historical factual accuracy and supported the Book of Mormon further. Yes. And I don't think they played up that part enough because they didn't just like accept the document as real. They once it got out to the public, they like made excuses for it like you said Dallin H. Oaks said oh this doesn't this isn't that odd someone could have used this language in that time to describe an angel like he was totally um justifying it he wasn't just accepting it yeah that's a really good and they were just basically like all right everyone get get on board with this like Mm -hmm. this is true this is facts like they just twisted it so that it was on their side aside again. And it was like the quickest PR response I've ever seen. Yeah. <laughs> the were like, oh, damage control. Let's let's do a, a press release. Let's like get in there, make sure everyone knows that, you know, it's just a way of like a different a different way of see, you know, reading the the same story and like it's, you know, out of context, blah, blah, blah. But I do have to say <laughs> So one of my colleagues messaged and was like, but, but are there white salamanders in Utah? Is that a thing? (laughs) Like, is is that why it was said? And I was like, I had to message Katie, are there white salamanders in Utah? I'm just like, no, I don't think so. (laughs) It's just Mark Hoffman spicing it up, like he said. (laughs) (laughs) And then the other one that I've been cracking up so much about, Katie, I don't know if you've seen this in our messages yet. (laughs) What? Someone shared it's Joseph Smith in his bed and that scene of like Angel Moroni looking, you know, like talking to him and he's like awake and blah, blah, blah. Someone changed Moroni to the frog lady in Mandalorian. Yes. (laughs) And it fits so well. That's amazing. I love it. Like, if they just would have made it white instead of purple, it would literally be exactly what I imagined in my head. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. So, yeah, the church buys this letter for $40,000. And then it it talks about the McClellan collection, which, yeah, we're not going to go too much into explaining all of this. But anyways, the church was set to buy that for $300,000. And then the they cover the bombings which are really sad super heartbreaking um and yeah they happened right before steve christensen was supposed to buy the mcclellan collection for the church and he was one of the victims of the bombings so sad so that's where it ends after the first episode and i after i saw that i was like i was honestly kind of optimistic that they were going to go deeper on the Mm -hmm. church and how it related and I remember that's when you and I were chatting and I was like I really I was like I like it I thought that it was really good production quality and I liked that they brought up these questions with the church and they've 
you know, introduce some ideas here about how the church is involved, and I'm excited to see what they do with it, but uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was the same. After I watched the first episode, I was like, okay, yeah, like, this is going to be good, and then, yeah, it changes. Yeah. So, at the beginning of episode two, I just was astounded. Um, so, they cover how, like, Mark Hoffman was in his car when the the bomb went off, like, he got bombed as they you know, are portraying it in the docu-series. Um, and the guy who gave him a blessing and commanded him to live, do you remember that? And he was on the news talking about it. He's, he's, he's sorry guys, I can't talk today because this episode just has my mind all over the place. I was like, what? But I have that <laughs> in my notes. This is, this is what I, I put down. So I'll get to the rest of these at the end, but I just have to say this is my last bullet point. The video clip of the guy who says he saw that Mark Hoffman was wearing garments, so he pulled out his oil and blessed him and commanded him to live again. They portrayed this as, quote unquote, a weird thing. But in reality, this is, in all caps, normal in the Mormon religion and not seen as something weird. I just love how they, like, show it like, oh, we're going to put in this clip and people are going to be like, that's weird. But that's normal in the Mormon religion. Like, it's not something weird. Yeah, any, like, priesthood holder would do that now, probably. Yeah. Like, yeah, that's definitely. But I also love that it was, like, you know, he was wearing his garment, so the Lord protected him because, you know, he, he didn't have harm in, in any any place where his garments were touching him. Oh, woof. That was, yeah, that's interesting. I didn't even really think about that, but it's, like, would he have given him the blessing if he wasn't wearing garments? I know. Uh, no, that's what I also have written down here, too, like, would it made a, would it have made a difference if he wasn't wearing garments? Yeah. Yeah. Interesting point. Um, my, my next note was they start talking about Mark Hoffman's life and like how he grew up and stuff. And I just couldn't stop laughing at the part where they like talk about how his Mark Hoffman's dad didn't believe in dinosaurs. Oh, <laughs> Because that was another part. People are probably thinking, like, how weird. But it's like, that that happens in Mormonism. People don't believe in evolution or dinosaurs. No, it's so funny because it's like this clip where he's talking about his dad who got mad about the fact that there, he had dinosaur books for his kids. And, and then his dad was like, why do you have dinosaur books for your kids or whatever it was? Yeah. Yeah. And it's just like madness because, I mean, Greg was laughing, was like, oh, was that your family? And I'm like, to be fair, my family, I don't know, it was just weird. We've talked about it so many times, but like, I was always taught that dinosaurs are real, but then I was also taught creationism was weird. So it was like bizarre that I kind of believed in both. I don't know. It, it doesn't make any yeah. sense. But. No, I was in the same boat as you. Yeah, but I definitely yeah. knew families that didn't believe in it. <laughs> Um, so then they cover his, his mission in Manchester, England, and... Which Greg loved that. He was like... that. I'm sure. Um, yeah, and they kind of... I didn't write down too many notes about what they covered about his life, because it just... If you want to know, obviously, just go watch it. But, um, I, I did note that, um, like they were talking about how he was spending so much money trying to keep up with the like Mormon lifestyle. And I was like, yeah, that's a thing that people do is like, you want to have, you know, your nice house and your nice clothes. And then 
like your plastic surgery sometimes. That's just definitely like a Utah Mormon thing. It definitely is. And I, like when I worked at that um, HVAC place, that was something Mm -hmm. that I, it really, I guess was, was driven home for me because I didn't understand how much like Utah Mormons did the whole keeping up with the Jones, Joneses, you know, like having to make sure that they had like the best, because obviously the, the richer you are, the more it shows that like God has blessed you and you're prosperous and blah, blah, blah. But, like, we, the technicians would go out to these, like, mansions, like, I mean, massive houses to service, you know, three or four or five air conditioning units or, like, H, you know, central AC and heating. And those were almost always the customers who would not pay their invoice on time. Oh, wow. That's yeah. so sad. Oh, mm-hmm. God. Or they would be the cheapest, like, they would just not want to buy anything. Or, like, pay any money to get a service. And it was like, well, we're not trying to, like, screw you over. It's just literally, like, your furnace or your AC is broken or whatever. Like, there's not anything we can do. Or we can fix it, but it's going to cost us a mile because we have to get this part, blah, blah, blah. And it was just, like, those were always the the rudest and, like, usually the people who never paid on time. Oh. Uh, yeah. Uh, wow. Yeah, it's so true. Um, Okay, so they they connect there's like this whole thing that they go through where they connect mark hoffman to the bombings and the frauds and they start kind of questioning like the church's documents and i think that their investigations they wanted to go into like some of the church's documents to see what had been forged and i have written in my notes how the lds church (laughs) they had a quote where one of them said we have been beaten up on. And I wrote in all caps, ew, go away. <laughs> they immediately started playing the victim of like, we've been beaten up on and we're being questioned by the FBI. And it's like, no, they just want to like, you know, you're there's some kind of connection here with these documents and they, you know, yeah, the church. Yeah. There's like um, bombings happening over the cell of these documents that are more yeah. related like the fact that they're like we're being beaten up on blah blah it's like the fuck off like you don't even yeah. pay taxes no fuck yeah off. just yeah let the fbi do their investigation they're not you're not the victim always yeah exactly <laughs> you're not the martyr every time right so the church finally allows the fbi to attempt to authenticate the salamander letter um which I noticed that the church officials would call it the Martin Harris letter, which was so oh. Mormon to me to just not call it like the salamander letter. They had to make it seem less weird. So they called it the Martin Harris letter. And it's just like crazy to me that they like, why wouldn't you want it authenticated before this? I know that they had it authenticated by like their church historian, like the BYU, whatever historian, but like, they were so um, reluctant to have like a secular source come in and authenticate it. And it's like, what's like, yeah, what's the harm? They yeah. knew it would be proved false or forgery or like it would, it, it, maybe they didn't know that, but they knew there would be a risk. Like if they have their own church official person who looks at it, they can just be like, hey, make sure yeah. it's real. Um, yeah. Don't like, I, I think they didn't like opening their vault and their, documents to the public and nowadays they can't help but like have all the things public because of the internet but in 1985 
um, they could keep it all like hidden away and nicely tucked and then just present what they wanted. Uh, yeah. Which mm-hmm. stood out to me how much they like controlled that. But next up, so how they allow the FBI to try to authenticate it. And this is when my favorite person in the documentary is introduced. George Throckmorton. Oh, Throckmorton. <laughs> he was the forensic document examiner. Oh, and that's right. And you tell he, he did not like Mormons. <laughs> his, his first quote when he appears is, the reason I got into forensic science is I don't deal with people. <laughs> I was like, if there's ever been a mood, it, that's my mood. But um, I just really liked him and he just has a cool name. But um, anyway, so, you know, that's when they're like digging around and trying to authenticate it and blah, blah, blah. And they discover how Hoffman's documents have that same ink crackling and they they can discover which ones are fraud and which ones aren't, which is a was a really cool process. I really liked seeing that and seeing their discoveries and putting everything together. Like that was a really cool part of the documentary that I yeah. liked. I did too. And I also, I mean, I know this is kind of maybe not taboo is not the right word, but obviously Mark Hoffman did some horrendous things, but I'm not going to lie. I couldn't help but feel impressed with like how, smart he was like how impressive it was that that he managed to pull this off for as long as he did yeah and as well as he did like basically if he just hadn't have fucked up by like over committing himself I don't think the church would have ever questioned it that's a part that I have um written in my notes somewhere down here further is that like I think if he would have been smarter with money and like not let his ego get the best of him he could have just kept that up and, like, the church wouldn't have never questioned it. Like, the salamander letter would just be accepted. And I was, I have in my notes, like, there would just be white salamanders on the top of temples instead of Moroni. Because, <laughs> like, he could have gotten away with it. It's nuts. He really <laughs> he, could have. Like, the only thing is that he overcommitted, right? Like, wasn't he was supposed to have, like... How many pay? Was it what was the last straw? It was like um, that letter series. Like it was supposed to be like a certain number, and he only had one done. And yeah, the McClellan collection. Like he he hadn't forged it yet. He'd promised it to the church, and then he got caught. um, The oath of the Freeman that he was trying to sell to um, someone in New York got. They figured out that that wasn't real. And so, and that was going to sell for over a million dollars. So then he was like, you know, fucked because he'd spent more money than he had. And then he wanted to keep up appearances. So he thought it was a good idea to bomb people who might have found out, which is terrible. Um, So in episode three, it covers like how he was arrested and pled guilty. And I feel like this episode really, really focused on like how he fooled everyone which which he did but I didn't like how they like I mean they put him up on a pedestal that I don't think he should have been on and what I mean is that I feel like they were trying to say like oh he was like the most amazing amazing forger in the whole world he he fooled everyone where it's like but he fooled men of God and they didn't even touch on like the power of discernment thing you know? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. That's what that's what we were 
commenting on too during that scene was that they like made it seem like he was the smartest, which I'm not gonna lie. I think what he did in terms of tricking a large religious institution is brilliant because he was just like able to con these ridiculously wealthy people into believing this story because they're just like so full of shit and basically blinded by their own faith that like I thought that was really smart and how he did it until the end. Um, yeah. But yeah, like how they just don't even like they, they make it sound like he's just this exceptionally brilliant, skilled person who could have tricked anyone. But that's not the case. No, because, they, because yeah, he was found out by secular sources. Exactly. And- if the church had done like the proper kind of authenticating, they would have found him out earlier. And also if they really did have a direct line to God, God could have prevented all of this. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Um, so then I have in my notes, freaking Turley. So Turley's the church historian and his quote was, God gave us agency to choose right or wrong so he can't interfere. That was his excuse for why, like, God didn't tell the prophets that they were being tricked. And I have in all caps, bull fucking shit. <laughs> but seriously, like, when when I heard that quote, too, I was like, really? Like, that's such bullshit. Like, you can't have it both ways. You can't say that you should follow the prophet. They'll never lead you astray or have scriptures that say that like God chooses a prophet and like they, you know, he would never lead them astray. And if they're righteous, they'll receive revelation. It's like, okay, so if that's the case and if the prophet at the time was righteous, which I'm assuming he was, cause he wasn't like thrown out of being a prophet after this whole thing happened, then God should have told him this yeah. is not true. Well, and there were it's all, leading the people astray. Yes. And there were all of the leaders, like not one of them was close enough to the Holy Ghost to like get a funny feeling about this guy. You know, it's just so it's so dismissive to say like, well, God can't interfere. But then in freaking like conference, they'll talk about how miracles, quote unquote, happen and how God interferes or saved so and so, you know, everyone claims like that they were saved by God and it's like so he interferes sometimes but then not in times like this where it would be very easy for him to interfere and to like whisper in the prophet's ear that guy's a fraud you know yeah exactly like I the first bullet point I have is follow through they don't have follow through they mentioned the church was willing to pay three hundred thousand dollars for those letters but then nothing happened after that it was just brushed over and the church was made out as a victim to Mark Hoffman. What about the fact that these prophets and general authority were saying these new documents just further supported the Book of Mormon and Mormon religion and showed it to be true? But yeah. no explanation as to why God wouldn't tell these prophets, seers, and revelators, as they quoted in the documentary, that these document that this document was in fact false. Doesn't that in and of itself show the Book of Mormon to be false and the Mormon church bogus? Good. All these questions. I'm just like, duh. And if they, yeah, what good are they? If, you know, we claim, they claim to have the living prophets because they can have revelation. But if they really can't, then what good are they? Why do you have them? I just. Yeah, exactly. They they claim, like you said, they claim to have it both ways. Like, yes, we get revelation. Yes, we can perform miracles. Yes, this and that. We can save people with blessings. But on the other hand, we 
God can't interfere. But it's like, you can't have both. You have to no. pick And then in the very next scene, it shows a colleague of Mark Hoffman, Brent Ashworth, and he and he describes how he was going to go meet Hoffman the day of the bombings, but he didn't because, quote, his wife got a funny feeling. Mm-hmm. And this to me was just like furthering what we were just talking about. He's claiming that like his wife got basically like a spiritual Holy Ghost prompting to tell her husband to not go meet Mark Hoffman that day. Yet, uh, like, it's just crazy how she got supposedly got that feeling, yet no one else got the other feelings about him. That's what yeah. I was going to say, too. Or also, what about the other two bombing victims? Like, yeah. are, are you implying that they're not righteous enough or, like, important enough for God to whisper to them, like, have the Holy Ghost say, stay home or don't go in? Like, it's also that insulting factor when I, and I used to think this, too, in, like, fast and testimony meetings when people would be like, and then God, you know, prompted the Holy Ghost to whisper to me that I should stay home. And because I did, I didn't get in a car accident. But, you know, there was a massive car wreck on the interstate. And it's like, so God basically said you were more important than the other people? That's exactly how I feel about it, too. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah great point. And then I have written down here something that I noticed with one of those rare book dealers, the one that loaned him a bunch of money and then essentially went bankrupt. And he said, like, I'm not going to let him destroy me uh, spiritually. And talked about how he, like, forgave him. And it was just such a perfect example of the toxic positivity in Mormon culture of, like, you have to forgive and don't let him destroy your faith. Like, Mm -hmm. yeah. And it, like, broke my heart. There were so many moments where these colleagues of his, it, like, it really did make me sad for what they had been through. And, yeah, it sucked. But, um, Yes, I have another like point on there too that's kind of on the same lines. Like something I wrote out is that they they don't go into the church's wealth at all. Like they don't they don't mention, but they but they focus on the individual Mormons who are like these you know businessmen as they call them, and obviously are super wealthy. Mm -hmm. Um, They focus on them and their collections and like. You know, the fact that they have the money to cash out, but they they never talk about how the church is just able to pay Mark Hoffman $300,000 without any hesitation. Like right. it was just a very easily accessible thing. Um, and it was also just like I actually had a few like non-Mormon friends who they picked up on that, but it's not talked about in the documentary because then they also they messaged me afterwards being like, I had no idea the church was that wealthy. Oh, yeah. And I found that really interesting because I was Mm -hmm. like, I knew that, but you wouldn't get that from that documentary. They just were saying that the church paid it out. But any like person who didn't grow up more would be like, well, how how does this institution have like $300,000 back in the 80s to just like quickly, without any hesitation, give in cash? And then to yeah, and then to people like us, we're, I'm sure you were thinking this too, because I was like, that's money, a lot of it that has come from Mormons themselves who are struggling mm-hmm. and they're paying that in tithing. And so they're paying their money to this church so the church can buy fake documents from a murderer and to try to yep. s- steal in all their vault and then they get released and then they try to cover it up and like make excuses for it. And then 
when it comes out that it was all a fake, they just claim that they were the victim too. And it's like, if I was a Mormon paying tithing at that time, I'd be like, I give me some money back because you used my money to buy this fake shit. (laughs) It's so true. And like, also it it was something like, so Greg and I got into one of our nerdy debates again, because um, so one of my friends who messaged this uh, messaged me about this, this part in particular about the church being so wealthy. And she was saying like, I had no idea that the Mormon church was so wealthy. And so I was saying that, you know, and, and up until this past year, no one really knew the exact amount because they've all been so shady but I told her, you know, they're worth over a hundred billion. And she was just like, what? That is insane. And I was telling Greg, like they're the, the richest religion in the world. And he was saying, no, it's Catholicism. And so I was like having to, you know, basically break it down, which he agreed at the end that like Catholicism in theory, like the Vatican, if you count mm-hmm. the money that's within the Vatican, they're like 10 billion, I think it was, or I'm, I'm bad with the numbers, but it's definitely not a hundred billion. But you can't count all the Catholic churches around the world. Their collective money isn't the same as like the Mormon church and it streamlined all the money that they get from every single church. Right. So that's why they are the richest religion in the world, because they can streamline that money flow from these individual churches into one entity, which is in Salt Lake City. You know, it kind of makes me feel sick when you're describing it. Yeah, it's really gross. It's really gross. And like people still just don't realize because, you know, like we talked about and we've covered it. It just happened this past year. But up until that, no one really knew how much money the Mormon church had, like not a a, a hard number like that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And people still don't get it. Like I have to emphasize like a hundred billion dollars. And they're just like, what? Like my brain can't even yeah go that high. <laughs> um, yeah. So at the end of this last episode, episode three, this is where I think I kind of got like a bad taste in my mouth. Now I do want to say that I think it was a really well done documentary. I think they did a good job. Like, and they probably tried to be fair, but I really didn't like how it ended. I thought that it like glorified Mark Hoffman in such a way that like I don't know it just felt distasteful to me and I felt like they were really putting him up on this high pedestal and being like look at what a villain villain which he is but like also like look at what a genius and he duped everyone but it's like he didn't dupe everyone they just didn't hold him up to a standard that they should have you know what I mean it just it didn't feel good when it ended and I was no I mean Exactly. The note I have on this is they made Mark Hoffman seem like a bitter ex-Mormon. Yeah. He made up these fake stories to get back at the church. But the angle should be the fact that his made up stories were believed by the LDS prophet and general authority and proved that the church is utter bullshit. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. That's what I totally said. Agree. They did the typical, he's an, you know, someone who questioned the church, he's an ex-Mormon, so he's bitter, so he made up these stories. And that's the angle. Right, and I didn't like how they slipped in there, like, how he was an atheist, and it was amongst all of the other horrible things he was saying. Like, his moral belief system was so fucked, Um, but then they had to slip in there, like, that he was an atheist, where I was just like, 
that just further goes to stigmatize. It's like if you were a Mormon watching that, you'd be like, oh, yeah, that makes sense now. He's an atheist. He doesn't believe in God. Like, they're all evil. And it's like, ugh, why just? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and, and, and the fact, too, that they, like, say that he's an atheist, but also that he's all, you know, I think there was one part, I think it was in that first episode, when he, they were even talking about his mission, how he, like, always questioned the church or whatever and so of course it's like this oh he questioned the church so he's an apostate and an atheist and like he must be evil because of that where it's like that has absolutely nothing to do with him being a murderer those are two separate things two separate things yeah he's just a person with you know no concern of human um like anyone living and doesn't care about someone like doesn't have empathy or for life or death like he's just able to take someone's life without any question that doesn't have to do with the fact that he doesn't believe in the mormon church or any religion at all no yeah he's that's a yeah psychopath um and i also think it I mean, we can make the connection ourselves but it would have been an interesting thing for them to point out that it's kind of like a boys club right like they trusted him because he was mormon like he was wearing his garments and going to church and being mormon and they trusted him and got duped and it's like because they all trust each other in this hierarchy of the mormon elite and um he you know he was able to dupe him that way but it's just like where (laughs) i keep coming back to why didn't god tell any of these Mormons, what he was doing. Like, why didn't any of them get a funny feeling? And it's because maybe Mormon God isn't real? I don't know. Sorry, I keep spitting out. But yeah, Mormon God doesn't exist. That's why. (laughs) So, Mm. um, I think that's about all of the notes I have about it, (laughs) about my problems with it. I mean, overall, in general, I think it's interesting. And I'm curious to know how what mormons think of it i mean they probably just watch it and are like oh yeah he was terrible and it's another you know victim something that happened to the church by someone else i don't know i think they will i think there'll be two approaches i think either they'll have that mentality where they watch it and they're like oh yeah it's just another example of like satan and his followers trying to take down the church but the church prevails because it's true and god will you know always provide a way or they'll protest it, as in they wouldn't watch it. Yeah. Um, I did want to say, though, there was one point, one other um, note I have, mm-hmm. but all the rest of them we covered. And this one I have to say was, um, sorry, I'm coughing. Hashtag COVID, guys, but I don't. It's just allergies. Um, <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, it's so bad. Ugh, Awkward. I'm drinking lots of water, but it's basically Mark Hoffman's wife. What did you think of her? I feel bad for her. Um, But also, yeah, it's just definitely an odd dynamic. But it was one of those things where, you know, she said she just didn't question what he did in his group. (laughs) Just went on with her life. Like, I don't know. It was, I felt bad for her. But then you're also kind of like, how do you not know? But then I'm like, well, I don't know. He fooled everyone else, so. I know. So before I have a coughing fit, and we just have to end this episode early because of my allergies, um, I put in there that, like, it just shows, like, Mormon women, again, the fact that she didn't even question her husband had a secret room. 
Mm-hmm. Or question all his expensive dinners or anything like that. Like she didn't know about their finances either. Right. Yeah, that's yeah. very typical of like a more. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And like I just was like, oh, God, that's such an example of a Mormon woman. Or either I feel like either she was naive and submissive as most Mormon women or she didn't know about it but didn't want to deal with it because that meant that her Mormon marriage wasn't perfect. Oh, it definitely could have been maybe even a combination of some of like maybe she knew a little bit, but yeah, but like how can you not like when you have that secret room, it's like who who in the right mind would be like, oh, I'm just never gonna open that door because it's another room I had to clean is what she said right if i if my partner had a secret room, he didn't allow me in first of all, like what the hell, man? But then, you know, yeah. it's a secret room. I'm going to want to go in there. I'm going to. Yes, yeah, definitely. Like, that's just a weird thing not to ever go in. Like, mm-hmm. or even how, like, she tricked him with, like, or he tricked her with the hiding the letter in the Bible. And, like, yeah. it's just all this stuff where it's, like, oof, yeah. Yeah, he definitely took advantage of her. And I, I really, I feel bad for his kids. Like, yeah. I, you know, they showed, like, the little kids in the videotape. Like, ew, can you imagine knowing that your dad did that? Oof. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. anyway. <laughs> On that note. Let us know what you all thought. And, um, yeah, we will be back next week with more goodness for you. Yes, we will. So yeah, definitely let us know what you guys think. Although a lot of you have already sent in your opinions and we agree. Like, um, But keep sending them in because I'm sure there are like areas that we missed out on or other yeah. angles that we didn't um, even notice. So yeah, let us know what you think and have a great week. Wash your damn hands and be safe and healthy. Love you guys. Bye. Bye.